Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that takes an expansive look at the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have new stories including Hyundai launches a Santa Fe hybrid. There's a hot Fiat 500 or electric model launched in Europe. Ford sounds off about their new Raptor. And Sebastian Vettel retires from Formula One. And in our feature stories, we've been to the launch of two new versions of Nissan vehicles, the X-Trail and the Pathfinder. Our driving impressions are embargoed at this stage, and we will bring full reports in coming weeks. But we did speak to two executives about electric vehicles, market trends and government policies, especially the aggressive approaches being shown in New Zealand. Now, if you want more information, you can go to drivenmedia.com.au. So to start this program, which was first broadcast on the 25th of November 2022, let's go to the news. Hyundai has launched a hybrid version of its Santa Fe large SUV. The turbo petrol electric Santa Fe is the first hybrid SUV Hyundai have offered in Australia. This Santa Fe hybrid uses just 6 litres per 100 kilometres on the official combined cycle fuel economy run, but more significantly it achieves nearly the same result at 6.2 litres per 100 kilometres on the urban cycle, which makes it 17% more economical than their turbo diesel when driving in the city and suburbs where the average family SUV will spend most time. Hyundai has taken another step in widening the potential market for the Santa Fe by offering a six-seater option for the -the top-of-the-range Highlander variant, which has a pair of second-row captain seats. The existing petrol V6 and turbo diesel powertrains will continue with four trim levels, but the new petrol-electric hybrid will only be available on the two highest trim levels, the Elite and the Highlander. The hybrid uses a 1.6-litre petrol engine and a 44-kilowatt electric motor, 1.5-kilowatt-hour lithium-ion polymer battery, driving all four wheels through a new six-speed gearbox. Before on-road costs, the hybrid Elite is priced from $63,000, while the hybrid Highlander is priced from $69,500. Now, that's $6,500 above the petrol V6 and $3,000 above the diesel Santa Fe. If there is one existing car model that would be well suited image-wise to get a performance all-electric version, it would have to be the Fiat 500. It's a quirky little urban vehicle. Fiat has had an electric version that they sold in the US, but it was not aimed at performance. Now, Arbath produces the performance models of some Fiat cars, mainly the 500, and they have just launched their electric model in Europe. The petrol version from Arbath is called the 695, and while not a rocket ship in performance, it has a sporty feel and sound. But Arbath is making much more of the fact that the electric version is quicker, saying it is the most responsive Arbath 500 ever in city driving. It is one second faster than what they call the urban pickup, which means which means 50% faster acceleration from 20 to 40 kilometres an hour than its gasoline-powered counterpart. But it's not Tesla-like performance. It takes seven seconds to go from zero to 100 kilometres an hour. Their emphasis on city driving is perhaps not surprising in that it only has a 42 kilowatt hour battery. 
they don't mention the range, but it is not likely to be as high as some other electric vehicles. To back up its presence as a sporty car, it does have a sound generator feature, which reproduces the legendary sound of the Arbath petrol engine. There is no indication yet as to whether it will come to Australia. The next generation Ford Ranger Raptor Ute has a new feature, an active valve twin exhaust system. At the flick of a switch, a driver can choose between the level of sound from the exhaust. There are four options, quiet, which is obviously the quietest setting for all driving conditions, normal, they say this gives a balance of comfort and feedback, applied by default to normal, slippery, mud ruts and rock crawl drive modes. Then there's sport, slightly louder than normal for spirited driving, they say. And finally, the Baja, louder setting for off-road use only. It's the maximum exhaust noise under all driving conditions. Ford says the system works by opening valves, much like a saxophone or a large pipe organ, to allow the driver to change the sound of their Raptor based on their mood. One hopes that even if you are in a bad mood when in an urban area, you will aim for a meditative, quiet sound rather than an aggressive noise that shouts your mood to everybody. And if you want to take this a step further in the symbolism of macho aggressive roaring, you can download the loudest exhaust note of the Bajar as a ringtone for your mobile phone. Perhaps this will hasten, if not make an imperative, the introduction of automated systems for measuring the sound of a vehicle as it travels on the road and even automate a fine if there is excessive noise in urban areas. Four-time Formula One world champion Sebastian Vettel has just retired from the sport. He completed his final race at the Yas Marina circuit in Abu Dhabi in a team that is not seen as one that is likely to win races. He finished 10th, gaining a valuable two points for his Aston Martin team. The points the teams accrue are used to allocate general revenue in the following year. Throughout the F1 world, Sepp has always been known for his sportsmanship and good character. He's been seen cleaning rubbish-filled grandstands after the race or opting to ride his bike to the track. He was obviously a competitive driver on the track but could be kind and thoughtful off-track. Having driven for BMW, Ferrari, Red Bull and now Aston Martin, his four drivers' championships makes him one of the legends of the sport. With each of these teams came many strong connections that he has made with other drivers. Of importance was his mentorship by Michael Schumacher and his friendship with Australian Daniel Ricciardo. Vettel was teammates with Ricciardo when Daniel won his first F1 race at the Canadian Grand Prix in 2014. Vettel came in third in this race and was beaten by his teammate for the first time. Unlike some of the other rivalries in the F1, Vettel was exuberant for his teammates' efforts that secured his first victory. Sepp has said that something that was special to him was being able to mentor Mick Schumacher, the son of Formula One world champion Michael Schumacher, in the same way that Michael had done for him when he was a young driver. And that has been the news. We have just been to the launch of new models for the Nissan X-Trail and Pathfinder, but our driving impressions are embargoed for a week or two. But while we were there, we did speak to some of their senior executives to talk about trends, particularly to do with electric vehicles, but also where various products fit in the market. Martin Longry, 
Chief Marketing Manager for Xtrail Pathfinder and EVs. How long have you been with Nissan? It's nearly 12 years with, with Nissan and um, about two years in this role. Were you in marketing all that time? No, I've been in um, product planning. I was also in the, in the region for a while, so in the, the sales function um, within the, the southern region, which was South Australia, Victoria and Tasmania. You would have seen the early days of Leaf then, or the earliest. Has that evolved? Is that part of the market? Do you think our attitude to the electric vehicles has evolved? Yeah, like definitely as a, as a market and a country, the, the acceptance and the attitude towards electric vehicle is, is evolving and it's, it's growing constantly and it's definitely something that people are a, a lot more across now and the infrastructure's there and you see them a lot more on the, on the road. Obviously, LEAF as the first mainstream electric vehicle was, was ahead of that and in Australia, it obviously was well ahead of infrastructure support, which made it a challenge to start off with, but it's obviously gaining momentum now as the as infrastructure also is, is available. What do you measure? A general public opinion to it, as well as perhaps specific LEAF owners? So we keep track of what the overall opinion is of the, the brand for, for LEAF, um, as we do for, for all of the, the Nissan labels, uh, vehicle names. Um, so we, we keep track of that. And also, you know, from a, an infrastructure perspective, we do keep track as well of the amount of charging stations that gradually become available, how that's growing government rebates, government incentives, all of that type of stuff, because that obviously gives a good indication as to how the market acceptance is also going to, to continue to grow. And you've seen that change, because LEAF has been there for this, a relative long time. Yeah, we've definitely seen it change um, and, and, in, and, and grow, like so just around inquiry in, in dealerships, sales, um, general que- uh, questions and, and trials and tests from governments and fleet companies. And, and also, if you just look at the number of entrants from competitors as well that are coming to the market shows that the Australian market is definitely now becoming ready for the, the, tr- the bigger transition to EV. Do you think we're being more mature about, as a general overview, be it at the policy and other levels about what electric vehicles are and should be? I think from, like, it's, it's not really my area specifically, but we're definitely getting a lot more discussion at, at the government levels around what some of these policies should be. I mean, you would have seen probably over the last year or so, there's been a lot more state-based incentives yes. and encouragement as well, whether it's uh, rebates or free registration. So the states are doing their thing. I think, obviously, the, the next step is for the, for the government, national government, to actually centralise that as well and make it more uh, countrywide and, and consistent. The last thing you want is different rules in different states. Yeah, exactly right, because it makes it easier for a customer, especially, I mean, those that are living near, near borders or whatever. It's like, oh, why could I buy it cheaper in one state versus the other? And especially when people in Australia do travel across, across borders quite often. Loyalty, you've had trouble with supply, as has most, if not all. Do you think you've got enough there not to have lost a great deal of momentum? Or, or how much do you think you, it's stumbled a bit? Yeah, I think like customer loyalty is obviously always important and even more so now with the supply challenges that, that we've got. But we, um, we've got quite a strong order bank on all of our vehicles, um, the, especially the, the new ones like the X-Trail, Pathfinder, Qashqai, the, the Z which is launched, Patrol. Um, so that shows that the loyalty is, is definitely there. I mean, it's always something that you want to be even, even stronger. But I think with everybody, you will lose some sales for sure because no matter how loyal somebody is then the the need and urgency of a vehicle will ultimately override that as well i mean if you need something you'll you'll take it well a novated lease if it runs out 
it's hard to sustain anything on loyalty if you haven't got wheels. Exactly right, and the same as, you know, if, you, if your car breaks down, and it's like, oh, I've still got to ferry my, my children around somewhere, so I've, I've, I've got to get something. So, mm. Yeah. But there is that notion in fleet as well, and I know you don't work you know, in great detail in that area, yet is there, is there a tendency to think, well, if you sold to private, you make more money, uh, whereas you've really got to maintain a loyalty to fleet? Yeah, like you, you definitely, you know, the, the the view is that you can make more money from a from a retail customer, but a fleet customer also obviously is a is a good longer term benefit. It gets your your vehicles on the road. It's 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 more a long term relationship. You still get the servicing and all the rest. But and I think if you've got that strong relationship with the fleet customers, you can manage the the supply challenges anyway, and they'll just make they'll they'll keep that car just for that little bit longer. It's so long as the the vehicles are coming. So. I think you know maintaining that strong relationship with the fleet will give you the loyalty as, as well. The Pathfinder, it's a, a large SUV and on the spectrum from off-roader to soft-roader, where would the Pathfinder in the Australian market, where do you think it's pitching? Primarily with the, the soft-roader um, because it's definitely very family-friendly. It's, it, it's a petrol vehicle that comes in two-wheel drive as well. But I think it's its capability and and there, which there's been a lot of work in um, done in, but also its styling and its and its its appeal will shift it more towards the the off-road spectrum of the of, of that. So more you know definitely more in the the middle as opposed to one side or the other. Not rock hopping and in in extremities, but certainly a family that wants to be a little adventurous. Yeah, exactly. Like any any family that. Um, yeah, they, they, they want to go off more of that, that off-road and they can guarantee they can get into any campsite if that campsite's on a, on a beach or it's, it's the off-road or they've had the, the bad weather like we've had in Victoria recently. Like, you don't have to worry, you'll be able to get to where you need to go. It's also one that has comfort, really, in those slightly off-road situations. Is, it, is that an important part of a vehicle like that? Yeah, I, I think so, because especially if it's, a, it's that family vehicle, so you're going to want your kids... To still feel safe and, and comfortable when you when you're driving, um, and especially if you've got the you know the, the full the full car, um, and so just to, to know that you're you're stable and you're safe and it's it's still comfortable, it'll take sort of away from the some of the pressure of it, especially the driver if the the kids in the back aren't all screaming because they're concerned that it's uh, you know that it's it's too rough a ride. Technology. We're doing some work with a professor on the human-machine interface. You can provide a huge amount of information, but that can be distracting. Is there a balance there that you think is very important not to be two bells and whistles, but far more practical in what you present? Yeah, for, for sure, because you're right. I mean, there's, a, there's only so many stimulants that you want uh, to, to come in and you know, and I think you know the benefit of a lot of the technology is that you can turn it off. You can change the screens, like so that it, it, it's not too overpowering. Like prime example, the head-up display, which adds a, an extra level of of safety in terms of it's within your eye level and, and visibility, and so therefore you're not distracted and looking away from the road. But also maybe if it is distracting you because you are off-road, or whatever, you can you can turn it off, and you know because you don't necessarily need the speed to be generated there because you're not going going too fast, and so I think with the technology does come the opportunity for distractions but then also there's safety features built into all of these things so that it's it doesn't impact the driver if it needs to to be taken away the pathfinder has nice big clear print in some things and it also lists some of the things that that are turned on and not turned on it is simple things like that that i think become very very important 
rather than trying to swamp people with infinite amounts of dials and, and warnings and what have you. Is that a fair point? Do you think that a simplicity becomes an important element? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's interesting that you mention that because it was the first thing I noticed when I drove the Pathfinder as well, that I, I turned the wipers on and it told me what speed my wipers were now doing and I turned the lights on and it told me what function the lights were on, which I think it, it just adds to it because when you otherwise you're trying to remember, it's like, oh, where did I spin the dial or where have I got, got the lever? And so it does hopefully make the increasing level of technology still quite easy to use, the same as touchscreens still make it easier to use. And, um, but you're right, it's, like it's about trying to balance the usability with what is becoming more complex. Is there a point with the, the dealer then to say to a customer, hey, you know, I know we explained it, you know, went through it in great detail, how are you going with this and this, just to make sure that they're using it for its full potential, the, the human-machine interface? Yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely opportunity there moving forward for dealers to, to really look at their, their processes, especially as cars become more um, full of, of, of technology. And, and it's definitely would be something that they would build into their, their sales process as well as their, their follow-up process just to make sure, you know, are you getting the full benefit of, of your car? I think, as I mentioned before, like with the interface with your phones now, though, I think that provides a lot of benefit for customers in that they already know how to use their phone. So the more those two are are in line, I think it obviously helps a customer. Would you say the X-Trail is one that has a significantly different market to the the Pathfinder? It has a more broader role, whereas the Pathfinder was a, perhaps not narrow, but certainly very much um, family-oriented? I think there's definitely very clear and distinct target markets and target customers for the for the both vehicles. They're both very much family-orientated vehicles, though. It's just about... Um, size and, and age of family and also potentially just how how much you really want to want to use that that vehicle like so for x-trail it's definitely family orientated get out and about um, what is it get back off track pathfinders potentially for the for the larger family but also for those families that maybe want to go just that little bit further and be a little bit more adventurous but both definitely family focused um, suvs but it's just different stages of the of the family life Martin, thank you for your time. No worries at all, thanks. And that was Martin Longery, the Chief Marketing Manager for X-Trail, Pathfinder and EV with Nissan Australia. Ben Hamilton, Managing Director of Nissan New Zealand. We sit here and say, just bring the cars in and for heaven's sake, sell them. Have you got an example of what can go wrong? And I think the cash guy was one example of that. Uh, so, well, what can go wrong compared to challenges I guess we face? And I think, uh, as you're very well aware, there's all sorts of global challenges at the moment. And one we talked about before was shipping, and that's certainly a challenge uh, for every brand at the moment. And we're at the mercy of the shipping lines like every other company, and uh, we can't control that. So uh, There was one particular stumble, wasn't there? Not yours, but <laughs> from the shipping? The first boat of Qashqai was uh, certainly um, delayed into both Australia and New Zealand recently because uh, the congestion through the Panama Canal. From what I understand, the ship had to divert and, uh, and go the long way around and, uh, and that caused a number of weeks delay, but uh, something beyond our control, but uh, that obviously flows through to our customers and our dealers. New Zealand has a very interesting tax scheme, doesn't it, that encourages a more sustainable transport. It's both giving incentives and, of course, penalties. How does that work? Since April, there's been what's called the clean car discount or fee system. So uh, depending on the CO2 output of vehicles, so you either get a discount on the car 
which is uh, government funded or you pay a fee at the time of registration depending on the level of CO2. So that's uh, fee or fee bait as, as you might call it. And then from January 1st uh, in 2023 comes in the clean car standard which is uh, I think quite similar to what they call cafe in Europe uh, and that's more aimed at the manufacturers in terms of having an overall fleet balance of low and high emitters so to speak. So the consumer doesn't necessarily see the output of that, it's the onus is put onto the manufacturers to be able to do so. Uh, New Zealand's got a very visible fee bait system that the customers see and obviously um, pay for at the time of purchase and then there's the other side which the manufacturer sees as well. The numbers are significant. How much of an incentive would I get if I bought a leaf in New Zealand? A little over $8,500 worth of incentive. So it's, uh, it's quite significant and it's, uh, it's, it's certainly uh, moved the needle in terms of uh, EV sales. And if I were to buy a big gas guzzler, what, what, what's the most targeted polluters that might be? Yeah, just under $5,500 of fee uh, goes on one of those. So obviously that's at the, the highest level and then they vary between that. Does it matter if it's a private or a company vehicle? No. It applies to all vehicles. So does that shift in your market, say, compared to the Australian market? If a Nissan products, do, is, is there perhaps less selling of things like petrol? Oh, definitely, yes. The, the market in New Zealand is, is uh, similar in many ways to Australian, but it is differing quite a lot. And I think we foresee that uh, the years ahead, it will actually branch away quite significantly will certainly be taking a, a, a very strong offensive in terms of what we're facing with, uh, with the uh, clean car standard and, and the, uh, the taxes, if you want to call it that way, in our market. And we've got to judge it based on that. Uh, and uh, who knows, it could be very soon that uh, Australia follows the same suit. We don't know, but uh, we, we run New Zealand independently and uh, make the best possible situation for our customers there. From the manufacturer's point of view, you know, in your marketing of that and the selling of cars, You've got to sell across the board. You can't get too high in the average fuel consumption of the vehicles. And if so, does that mean you're going to give incentives for the, for the less polluting vehicles, for the more sustainable vehicles? Well, in, in simple terms, uh, how it works is you need to have a balance. So, uh, so whilst we can still sell um, the higher emitters that are, that are, that are in market, uh, we also have a great range of uh, low emitting vehicles. You know, Leaf is obviously zero emission as an example. And uh, as you've heard about the last few days, ePower uh, coming through, which will be on sale in, in January, which is fantastic as well. So it's all about creating a balance. And then that balance will, uh, we, we expect to work out uh, in a positive scenario for us. You think you're in a good position to be able to meet an expectation of government? We think we're in a very good position with the Nissan uh, brand and lineup. It's been tough because you just haven't had supply. Do you think you've lost some customers for that or is, is there a strong loyalty and is there a strong loyalty to particular models within the Nissan range? There's very strong loyalty in New Zealand towards Nissan. It's a, it's a big seller. It's a very well renowned and, and respected brand. We've certainly suffered from production constraints uh, over the last certainly two years or throughout the whole pandemic, uh, really. And it's fair to say that we've probably lost some customers because people's timing don't align when necessarily when you've got uh, product in market. But by the same token, I think with the new product that you've just seen over the last two days, I think we'll be able to not just win a lot of those customers back, but we certainly intend to conquest a lot more customers to the Nissan brand with these cars. In Australia, there's a very uh, strong push by companies to be seen, to be 
environmentally sensitive. Is that similar in New Zealand? And do you, you see that the companies are buying them not just on the short-term analysis of costs, but on the long-term image that it might create for the organisations? Absolutely. And uh, I'd probably say in the nicest possible way, New Zealand's probably a little bit ahead of Australia in that way. I think New Zealand's been going down that track for a lot longer. Uh, and that's probably tied in with other factors that are probably unique to the environment in New Zealand. For example, New Zealand's about 73% renewable energy, um, you know, very high on hydro and, and thermal energy generation uh, and, uh, and the used car market as well, which is obviously very different to Australia with the grey imports that come in, a very high rate of uh, EVs that come in via uh, the used import scheme. So there's a lot of EVs on the road already um, before even these standards uh, came in that we're going to be... Uh, um, uh, working with uh, from 2023 onwards. So probably advanced um, it, it compared to the Australian market in that regard. One thing I liked in the Pathfinder is it came up with a simple screen that said this facility is on or off. Right. It, it, might, it might sound simple, yet not all systems are created equal. You don't know what's on there. That bit of information and the possibility of using the internet for learning even after you've bought the car... Is that a potential, you think? Because you get swamped when you're buying a car. You're not necessarily concentrating on the detail. No, you're not. And we, we try very hard to make sure that uh, we, we communicate with our customers on a variety of platforms. So, for example, if you look at our websites, there's, there's different uh, pages with different videos about certain pieces of technology on the car that educates you on them. Uh, we also um, have, a, have great experience with our sales teams being able to hand over the car at the time of delivery and going through all those technolo technological items, the things that the customer might get confused about. Um, you know, as far as even even to pairing their phone with it uh, with the uh, audio unit or setting up CarPlay as an example. And what we also encourage is that uh, at the time when uh, when the uh, customers are coming back in for their first service, we also encourage salespeople to, uh, to make contact with that customer so that they can go over uh, those sorts of items as well. So you know, a few thousand kilometres, they follow up the customer and and they're saying, oh. You know what? I missed what you said about the the, yes. the ProPilot system, for example. Can you run that through with me again and and go through all that as well? So I think we have a multitude of touch points that we have with our consumers, and we certainly work really hard um, with our customer experience to make sure that if a a customer does have a question that they feel really comfortable to speak to their dealer and uh, get the answers that they want. I did a lot of work in uh, computer modelling of transport systems which used to try and predict the future, now it just looks at scenarios. Uh, being adaptable is the ultimate thing you have to be in this modern world that's moving so fast? Totally agree. Yeah, being nimble uh, all the time. Keeping the customers at the forefront of our mind and, and thinking is, is really important and, uh, and that's what we always try and do at Nissan and uh, you know, we try and control what's controllable and manage what we can't and uh, that's certainly been the case for the last few years with all the challenges that have been thrown at us uh, that have been beyond our control from, from shipping to production to semiconductors, COVID, all those things uh, you just got to work with but uh, keeping the customer at the forefront of everything is, uh, is what we, uh, we base our strategy on. Ben, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Anytime. That was Ben Hamilton, the Managing Director of Nissan New Zealand. LDV has just launched an Australian first, the first electric ute, the ET60, along with an electric delivery van and a luxury people mover. The three models are available now. They include the ET60, E-Deliver 9 and the E-MIFA 9. Let's start with the E-Deliver 9. It has an 88.55 kilowatt battery as a range of between 150 and 280 kilometres. The E-MIFA 9 is a luxury people mover. 
In the brief drive I had it seemed comfortable, drove nicely and is packed with little luxuries for limousine style transport. It also has a quirky yet appealing design with a 90 kilowatt battery as an estimated range of 440 kilometers. Lastly is the et 60 Ute. With the same battery as the E-Deliver 9, it has an estimated range of 330 kilometres. This is also the first electric ute in Australia. It comes in two-wheel drive only and has a substantially reduced payload. Now, you and I are not the target market for these vehicles. The large corporates that need to make good on their green grants and the three levels of government are the prime candidates. Pricing for the three models is aimed at those markets. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. Today we're chatting about the Skoda Superb, which is a stylish sedan with a liftback boot. The liftback design allows for flowing lines with a statesman-like appeal. Inside the Superb, it's comfortable. Features such as the Matrix LED automatic headlights, wireless smartphone connectivity and charging, virtual cockpit for the driver instruments, a 9.2-inch central touchscreen with excellent resolution, leather steering wheel and kick boot opening all add to the premium feel. The rear seats are relatively spacious and the boot area is particularly practical with its high lift boot opening. The Skoda Superb is powered by a 2-litre TSI petrol, provides power of 206 kilowatts and torque of 350 Nm. It drives all four wheels through a 6-speed direct shift gearbox. One thing I like about the engine is that its peak torque comes in around 1700 revs, which promotes a relaxed, cruisy style of driving. On the freeway, it simply glides along and is sporty around town. Skoda Superb Sportline is priced from 68990 recommended drive away. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Ben, Hamilton, Martin, Florence Fuller, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.